Welcome back to the podcast known as the Pod of Many Things, the chill roundtable podcast where we discuss everything and all things tabletop RPG. Continuing with our new format, I'm Addison, your resident friendly Furbolg wizard, multi-classing into the Bard, despite the charisma requirement. And as usual, I am joined by my favourite half-orc Bard, a newly multi-classed artificer, Leon. Say hi, Leon. Howdy, Leon. <laughs> so uh, this is a this is a pre-recording of a something we've done before, um, but we kind of lost it in translation uh, and in editing. So if we seem a bit rehearsed, it's because we're still in the headspace. It's not because like we're reading off a script or anything. But Leon, we aren't alone today, are we? We have our friend Sean here. Say hi, Sean. Hello, and thanks for inviting me to your brilliant podcast. Oh, thanks very much. That's very. I feel even more honoured. I noticed for most of the intro before everybody joined us, I was literally kept in the dark. So it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you're here to talk with us about settings today, which yeah. is I know you have a lot of experience with over not just D and D but many systems. Yeah, indeed. and I'm quite excited about that. Um, so how about to start with, you kind of introduce yourself, tell us about your history in the space of tabletop RPGs, and then we will dive right into. Oh, I'll keep it. I'll keep it pretty short because it'll be boring, and no one wants a boring podcast. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I've been I've been DMing for closing in on forty years now. It's quite remarkable, really. Um, yeah, I've been in, uh, and it's been all the time continuous. There's never been one week in forty years I haven't DM. So, just to give some sort of perspective, Ooh. on it. Um, longevity. Obviously, once you've been GMing for a long time, you you then start turning your attention to crafting, you know, products that you think you could do better. And it's not not an easy gig, I've got to be honest. But have had a lot of success with it. Worked for DCC, that's Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, also been designing board games. Got a few Kickstarters off the ground successfully, and and now looking at a couple of projects for the near future. One is my own RPG, and a board game I've been working on called Bobtown, which is very close in place. It's in the playtest, big end of playtest phase. So hopefully next year. So you've had an amazing career. Um, so as part of like our our podcast, we have like avatars, like classes and races yeah. that we assign to ourselves. And one of the things we want to do with you, Sean, I think I'll take the lead on this one because I've had the more, most experience with you and working with you, um, yeah. is we'd like to assign one to you, if that's okay. And we're going to tell course. you what we think yeah. it is give you our reasoning and then you can agree I disagree. I instantly know where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm thinking, so just, thought, just based on what you've told us already, I'm thinking some kind of wizard. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very honored very honored by that. On on my on my sheet here, I've got high elf wizard because you know how I high elves are like um ridiculously proud yeah ridiculous <laughs> no not even that it's the fact that they're like seen as this like font of knowledge aren't they they're like high oh, knowledge yeah. they know like lo lost arts and stuff like that because it's passed down and they're like the they're like the i see them in most settings as like the dads of all the other races they like tell everybody else how to yeah, do I can, stuff can, i can live with that analogy yeah. that's, that's very apt to, yeah you're very right i mean it's all smoke and mirrors obviously yeah <laughs> There's, an, there's a half all waiting to break out, but yeah, yeah, I like the idea of the wizard. Yeah, so very knowledgeable, your wisdom and experience, obviously, that we want to tap into today. Well, I really, really appreciate that. It's a great analogy, and thank you for that. It's, uh, it's very kind. Thank you. So, so, now we know who the guest is, let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's uh, podcast, which is 
settings. The item of today, the item on today's table is settings. The worlds in which we host our adventures, the worlds we create and interact with. I think a good place to start when we talk about settings is not through listing published and homebrew settings, but to actually instead talk about what makes a good setting. And then after that, go into where published settings succeed and what we can do with uh, those things in our own homebrew settings. So um, the idea of generalizing and comparing. So do you want to start us off, Sean, and talk about what you think makes a good setting having that almost game design element to your... Um, yeah, just just a general, without going too specific, a general overview would be something that really stirs your imagination. So that's that's the, the absolutely the first thing I'd look at. Um, easy to understand, um, however, has some depth to it. And it, it, if I'm honest, it's something I want to play as much as I want to DM. If, if a setting does that as a GM... I'm already invested because I know if I want to play it, there's a very, very high chance the players will love it too. So that's how I generally sort of view a setting. If it makes me excited to want to play it, then I know that I, because I'm excited to play, it's already going to affect the way that I think about the setting and the kind of stories I'm going to be able to write for it. Awesome. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Leon, we usually talk about unique selling points, the USPs, um, between us two. Um, yeah, I, th you, I think every, do you everything needs a unique that selling idea point. And see and, um, if, if Sean likes it. The or... thing is with D&D, &D, everything is tip... Well, with the with the main modules that come out, everything is set in the, uh, in the Forgotten Realms. And I find the Forgotten Realms to be incredibly vanilla as a setting. There's not really anything that makes it stand out. And I would imagine that's kind of by design because you could take sections and you, you can add... You can add your own stuff to it, you can take things out of it, and you can put stuff into your own worlds. But when I say a unique selling point, um, Addison, I have not told you this because I've been waiting for the podcast to tell you, but I may have purchased something today, something that I said I wasn't going to buy until the paper book came out. I may have purchased it online instead. I went and purchased Theros. <laughs> Yes. Um, so yeah, um, Theros has a massive uh, unique selling point. Um, not okay. only is it a, a Magic the Gathering setting, um, but it is heavily based on ancient Greek, uh, ancient Greek mythology, which is something that, um, at least in my experience of D and D, and having uh, you know looking at the the previous modules that have come out since Five E has come out, is completely different to any other setting so far. Um, if you look at the the races. Um, very limited in races. You've got a couple of new ones in there. Um, if you have a look at the, the the world itself, it's it's almost as if it's kind of like a demi plane. The whole mm -hmm. world is like 200 miles wide. It's crazy. Um, uh, yeah, and and I've been flicking through the book. I think that the biggest unique selling point for me has been the piety system, um, an actual mechanism for for using gods in your campaign, which I think is something that's been missing from uh, from 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 Five E since the very beginning. Um, so yeah, unique selling points, things like that, things that make your uh, setting different to just the vanilla uh, Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have got one setting that I always go back to, um, and I, I think very much like you've said there, Leon, that it, it really hits those points. I love what you've said, because I love ancient Greek, because you can immediately no matter who you are, you can immediately visualize that. So that helps a great deal. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is one of my absolute go-to systems when I need inspiration. What makes it special from a unique selling point of view is the fact that the world itself is very much modeled on our own world. So it's basically 
kind of 14th century Renaissance Germany is the best way to describe it. So there is kind of gunpowder weapons. There is still some magic left, but it's very dangerous. But what makes it brilliant is that all the areas themselves are easy to put, uh, easy to understand. For example, to the south is Bretonia, which effectively is France. You have Albion, which we all know is England. You have Kislev, which is Russia. So you can immediately understand the cultures that exist. And, you know, you can throw together an accent if you want an arrogant Bretonian Frenchman running around. You can do all that kind of stuff in it. And it's already there for you. Plus, it has, without a shadow of a doubt, probably one of the greatest campaigns ever written for a game I've ever seen in terms of handouts, depth, and it's just inspirational. And, and that makes it special. That's one that I always go back to for. If I ever get stuck or writer's block, I just pick a book up like that and immediately my mind has loads of new ideas just because of it. It sounds very much like this, which immediately I think sounds intriguing. I've, I've already got my mind thinking, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll have to have a look at that. Yeah, I, I, when I think about settings, um, we've talked about it before as well, Sean, in in the DM panel. Is purpose? Yeah. I think setting has to have like a purpose to it. So, and that purpose has to bleed out into everything. So, if your world's purpose is to make things difficult, so say for Barovia, it is to basically corrupt and stand in the way of everybody trying to escape and trapping people there for Curse of Strahd. <laughs> then people reflect that and that purpose is apparent through everything that happens. The mist, the uh, Vistani um, and how they operate um, in my own personal campaigns and on my own personal like homebrew settings, I always think about what is the purpose of this place? What does it do for the people who are in it and what does it do? Will it do for my players? So um that's one of that's always been one of my key things and we talked about it when we did the podcast before yeah we so it has a distinctive theme and tone which mm. sets it apart yeah i like that yeah it's a very yeah. good thing very good uh, um i think those are some interesting expectations that we've set up so sean's was about that idea of uh having it be creative something that you want to play in something you want to you are excited about and making it exciting the talked about the unique selling points and i talked about like the, what's the purpose so based on our points and what we said do we think that rpg publishers with their teams of people sometimes 20 to 30 people working on these products do we think they always get it right do is there any examples that we have and where we think actually no they're setting now that we've like set up the parameters of what we think it makes a good setting setting uh leon how about we start with you what's you've just bought ferros do you think that it um i i, I it, think the thing that really it, sets it, it apart is successful is in being a good setting? other uh 5e module uh or setting so far um just by virtue of the extra mechanics um the piety system um the 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 massive limitation to the races i mean there's only like uh five six races you can choose from whereas you know any other setting uh in 5e now you can choose from the litany of like I don't know, what are we up to, like 30-something individual races? So yeah, I, th I think it achieves I think it achieves what it's set mm -hmm. out to do. It's very different. Um, you know, you have you have Eberron and you have Ra Ravnica. I don't really feel that there's enough difference between those two settings to, to justify buying both books. Whereas I feel like uh, what they've done with Theros mm. is, is, is night and day basically it, it feels like playing a completely different system just just reading through theros yeah what about you sean you you've obviously seen settings from different publishers and different systems over like the like 
as you've said, a massive amount of time you've been DMing. Do you think publishers always get this sort of thing right? Or No, I think Leon hit the nail on the head when he said a lot of it's very vanilla. I mean, if you take uh, Pathfinder's core setting, um, it's bland. It's same as 5th edition. A lot of the core settings are very, very bland, but they were done that way because they had probably 30 or 40 writers who weren't necessarily in the same room, who were given maybe an objective of what to achieve. And when you put it all together, it cobbles together. And you can feel in some ways it's cobbled together. It, it works. And as a generic, like you said, Leon, as a generic sort of overview of the system, you can take out the bits you like or put in the bits you want. And that's probably why they designed it that way. So you've got kind of the pick the areas. I always get a bit fed up when I see I've never used the Sword Coast. Varun, I've never used it because everybody sticks on the Sword Coast. They don't go anywhere else. I think that's really lame. Um, I just get really bored with it. I, I want a setting for the players that inspires them. And if they know a lot about something, sometimes that also holds them back from exploration because they're frightened of something. I don't want that. I want them to find out themselves and make their own decisions about what they like or what interests them. And sometimes settings hold you back. So often the best ones are the ones written only by a handful of people who yeah, work together. Good point about the, uh, about, the, about the Sword Coast. I've never understood why they only focus... They have this entire world, but they only focused on the Sword Coast. I don't understand that. You could probably get, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 different settings out of that one world alone. But they only focus on this one coast of the place. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and, and the difference is if you go right the way back into the history of, of Dungeons & Dragons, you, you probably yeah. have some experience or know of or have heard of Greyhawk. Yeah. And Greyhawk is, is without a shadow of a doubt, it, it's, this, it's, this, it's the absolute grandfather of all of these. And what makes it brilliant is not mm -hmm. because it's so detailed, it's provocative. Everything that was laid out is very provocative. And all the areas have a, a kind of an interesting mystery to them that not much is explained. And that's clever because... As a GM, I don't want someone to guide my hand and tell me everything. All I want them to do is kind of lay out a mystery and then let me decide how it actually unfolds. That's the magic of the old system. A pamphlet of 28 pages was enough to give someone 40 years of gaming. I think that tells you an awful lot about how clever the system is and how great the setting is. Um, okay, over time, people have expanded upon it, but it's been a collective. A lot of people coming together and loving Greyhawk and have collaboratively built this fantastic tome of a weld which is amazing. I mean, if you want to go even kind of deeper and really look at something that, say, um, you know, maybe is even, you know, more kind of evolved than anything else, then you really need to sort of look at some of the more modern products and the way that they now handle things. I know uh, we've got a good friend of ours, mine and Addison, a guy called Ben, absolutely into Forbidden Lands. Again, another setting with just a, like a hint of what's really there and allowing you the scope to go and explore it. It's very clever, really, in many ways. Very old school, but that's a good method sometimes. Because, you know, settings don't always know your players. And that's one of the biggest problems. They don't know your group. And vanilla settings can be really problematic, I think, for that. I like the word provocative. I think that's a really good uh, way to talk about how settings should be. That they should be provocative. They should draw something out of you as a reaction to them. Um, and Greyhawk, I think, is one of those because it it's kind of like um really gritty isn't it it's like very much like fight fight yeah, to survive sort it, of thing but they had this wonderful yeah. kind of you know just getting to places just felt you know dangerous you know trying to reach the trying to reach yeah, the exactly. large to try and you know enter the desert region that was inhabited by the slavers i mean it's just genius the whole thing was really simple but very well thought through and has a lovely feel to it so again as a as a writer or a creator it's something you go back to 
you know, I do a lot whenever I get a stumbling block, I just always go back to the, it's like having great books, isn't it, in a library, you go back to the ones that really inspire you and, and the stuff that never does, sure. you just sit on a shelf question? looking pretty, um, you know, that's what often you, happens. You just mentioned um, in, in, uh, in the world yeah, that you were discussing, um, a, a section with slavers. Um, I'm not sure if you've been following what's going on with the uh, what's going on over at Wizards of the Coast, but um, they're doing a lot of um, um, yeah. yeah, retroactive, um, retroactive like uh, they're doing a lot of retconning to their worlds. And one thing that I'm concerned about is that um, yeah, yeah, all of the materials coming out uh, uh, going forward are going to be hindered by um what's going on politically at the moment so things like slavers you know and people with dubious morals such as that do you think um it's going to have a huge effect on those kinds of stories yes. that wizards are going to be willing to tell I think I think the problem is that the big companies. This is where they're going to be hindered. Really, is we all know if we're honest. If we take a step back, role playing has always been about you know beyond the boundaries that exist in front of you. You want to be able to go out beyond those boundaries. Now, the great thing about modern gaming, I find, is that a lot of people have introduced like a card system, you know, black card system or whatever you want to call it. I think that's perfectly good. You know, I think that's a great system because if you touch on an area perhaps that's gone just that little too far, someone can say, hey, you know, this is not quite where I want it to go. And as a GM, you can adapt and that's fine. I think that's enough. I mean, I, you know, you want to have the freedom to tackle deep and difficult subjects because that's how we all learn. And actually, we all know that in our gaming worlds, it's escapism. If it was, I've never met anybody in my life when it comes around to the table, we... We all play under the same banner. When you're around that table, all you're interested in is gaming. That's all you're interested in. Mm -hmm. That's the wonderful thing about role-playing today. It's an amazing thing. I, I, I would like to hope that we're free of some of the issues that the world currently has. And I, I think role-playing really is one of the great last bastions of it because, you know, we've known for a long time. I have, anyway. I mean, I, you know, when I grew up... Um, <laughs> You know, people thought it was a dark art that I was studying. You know, they thought we were heading yeah. heading to some graveyard in the middle of the night to terrorise it. You know, some terrorise and take <laughs> away their young daughters. Uh, if only. I mean, come on. I mean, no, <laughs> if, if only with the daughters. If only with you the know, daughters. Uh, when I was growing up, it wasn't cool. Now suddenly it's damn cool. I'm too old to enjoy it. This is just not right, is it? <laughs> it's just not right. So, um, no, we're in a great place. I think role playing is in a really good place. I think big productions, but big companies are really going to be hampered. So I think it's going to come from the smaller designers is where the real innovation is going to come from, I think, moving forward. And it's a shame because, you know, racism and various topics like that in this industry, which I understand why they've come around, but it's a real shame because none of that, I've never in 40 odd years at the table, I've never seen that. That's never come out. Yes, we tackle difficult subjects, but it's always been fun and it's always been yeah. about the good part, the freedom of, you know, saving That's it, those you know, they're there to be bad guys for you people. to kill, those you know, orcs, say that. drow, goblins, thing... slavers, whatever. Yeah. They're there for you to kill because they're bad guys yeah. and you're good guys. I want my, I want my, I want my, yeah. You know, I know that I'm, I, I know that, you know, a lot of the time as a GM, I'm, I'm quite crafty, you know, not all my bad guys wear black and all my white guys wear a white Stetson hat. I know that. But, they are fairly obvious which are the bad guys, and I'd like to keep some of those, frankly, and I don't want to feel that I can't bring them to the table because, ooh, it's not the right thing to do, and I'm afraid I just won't do that. If somebody's got a problem, then raise your card, mm -hmm. I won't bring them in, it's fine. But really, I think we can do better than this, to be yeah. honest. I don't think that's, that's the magic of 
of role playing and gaming. I just think it's a wonderful industry. It's a shame we've got to this stage because there'll be no end to this. That's the issue with this. Now, once you start this Pandora's box, everything will suddenly become very bland and eventually you'll have exactly what you said. It'll be a tiny portion of the Sword Coast that you can game in where everybody's equal. Yeah. <laughs> and it won't be a very nice place. I can tell you the worst place in the world to game in. Yeah, I, I think me and you tackled this mm-hmm. in, in an earlier episode, Leon, but I think that um, settings that have those complicated and layered problems that you actually have a hand in possibly for the first time in your life, and I know it's pretend, but you can take out your frustrations with it. And as a teacher, I've used them as teaching moments. Like, yeah, th- these people are treated like this. And you know what? That's not okay. Like, like, and we can fix that. Yeah. And I think that's that's yeah. one of the cool things about settings and, is that layering. And one of the, you know, some of the greatest achievements, some of the moments around the table where you've literally got your players jumping up from their seats, high-fiving each other and, and going, wow, that, that was amazing, is those moments when they have defeated something so hideous, so evil, so cruel, that it really mattered to them. And for me, that's mm. one of the greatest moments. So if you could bottle that up and feed it to the rest of the world, I think we'd be golden, frankly. That's... How Have you got an example of, like, a world where that that's really possible like i think i want you to think about this as well leon let's talk about some examples of actual published settings then that nail that kind of feeling so i like that idea of like fixing problems changing the world winning out my name the outsiders because my my acronym if you will on youtube is outsiders 68 and the reason it's called the outsiders 68 is because my rpg that i worked on for many years is called the Outsiders RPG, and it's all about to complete flip of the switch. Ironically, that all the ra- normal races have been basically wiped out. So all the races you assume have gone, and all you have left are the orcs, the goblins, the gnolls, and everything else. But the players actually played those original races, those that were hidden away, that somehow managed to survive underground for this length of time. So they're like fairy tales, and the they're forced above ground. And then it's a complete flip of the switch. So everything Fantasy do, fallout. Yeah, so everything they do is got to be measured. It's careful. If you get seen, you're going to be hunted down because you're legendary, you're folklore. So you have to carefully think. And there's nowhere to fall back to. Uh, but there's a you know, hint that there may be a northern resistance. There's certain clues that's going on. And the way I liked it is that uh, the way I came up with the idea was that the characters lived underground because they had these Melstarian crystals. And the idea behind the crystals was that they give off natural light and natural heat um and they needed 12 for their community roughly 100 of them have survived underground for you know for a couple of generations underground and their leader this norel this wizard comes to the group the key people of the group and says the crystals are failing we now need 12 others we ha- you have to venture above ground. we've got no choice you have to go out so mm. they have to go and find them and that's what I loved about that and it creates some of the greatest highlights for me as a GM because my players challenged me in so many unique ways and couldn't fall back on their preconceptions and it was great fun and it was Mm. a great fun campaign I think one of my I'm obviously a bit biased because I love the the show Critical Role I think Matt Mercer's a genius rah 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 and everybody's going to be like Addison all you ever do is talk about him but you know what I'm going to keep going anything that inspires you yeah the Wild Mount Continent on Exandria is is really interesting because there's um you're basically if you play in a certain time you are in the middle of a war between two great empires you've got the dwendalian empire mainly your humans your 
standard magic people who are usually the good guys and then on the other side you have the crin dynasty who are basically all drow or monstrous races uh yeah. goblins everything like that and um they are working with different kinds of magic so they have this thing called dunamancy which is basically time space magic which is like really cool <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it like can yeah. end fate and stuff and you can like warp and like basically the dwendalians think that's heretical like that's not a good thing to do like they worship a different god as well and i think putting all those issues in it is is art imitates life and like you get to see the conflict from both sides you can yeah, be, yeah. start in the dwendalian empire and go oh i don't think these guys are, are as good as i thought they were and then you can go to the crin and go actually these guys aren't the monsters that are that I, i've been told as bedtime stories sort of thing and you can look at the the very gray thing of of combat and war and like reasons why and like the thinly veiled reasons as well like Oh, we have a problem with the Kryn because they do terrible things. No, you like actually in some. Uh, sorry for spoilers. Like in some cases, the 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 thing is that they want to learn about Dunamancy, and the Kryn won't tell them. They're like, yeah, we're not going to tell you about Dunamancy because that's ours. Like we made that. You don't get to. You don't get that. And they're like, well, we'll take it then. And yeah. that's yeah. And then I I think that's a really good way to create a setting like the the purpose of that is to explore that conflict and to explore that that duality and dichotomy whereas it's if you take that away yeah, yeah. if you, yeah, if you take that away it's like you said vanilla it's like yeah ugh. you you would never get you'll never get the same moments around the table and once you you know once you go past a certain point honestly the, the gaming is massively hampered and if you think it's a struggle to find gms now imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years if we get too far to one side of this it'll be really difficult because people won't have any enjoyment of it they'll just feel like they can't do anything about people raising cards or saying it's not i can't do this or you'll never go anywhere and that's mm. a real shame so i think the truth is role playing is bigger than this and i i really believe we can bring out the best in this situation and we can actually really enjoy it the big companies may struggle because as i say they're yeah, gonna have problems yeah. they're gonna have to you know kind of toe the company line but i think it'll be the third-party publishers and various games that will come out hopefully positive games that focus on you know the good side of this which is the key and i, I think a lot will so that that's the positive what about you leon what's an example of a setting you think is has had those layers i think you know which one i'm going to talk about because i keep talking about it on this podcast um barovia uh, fantastic setting um or, or ravenloft whatever you want to call it um this is a place where literally everything is bad yeah the common the common people um are the type of people to literally sell their children for drugs <laughs> um you have you have the vistani and i know the vistani are controversial right now but there are two camps of vistani one yeah. of one of the yeah. camps is good one of the camps is bad and that's fine we can do that um but when it comes to the, the world at large, you know, the, the forest itself is trying to kill you. There's things in the water that are trying to kill you. You know, everything in the castle is alive. The, just everything's trying to kill you. And it's such a dark and depressing place. And the thing that really gives it that extra layer is yourself as a DM. Uh, putting in those little tiny hints of light here and there to make this place feel less depressing. And, you know, that, that can be, you know, just, just like helping somebody on a road. 
Um, it can be finding something um, in, in a house or a tavern um, that, that people seem to seem to enjoy and that's not evil like a, like, like a toy uh, there's, a, there's a fantastic toy maker in there who is one of the people that um, at first glance seems like he's gonna probably try and cut your head off while you're sleeping um, but you, you speak to him for a little while and then you know you, know, you go away and nothing happens his name's Blinksy and uh, he makes toys, and uh, one of the things that he says is, "He's no blinks, he is no fun," which which is, which is his toy slogan, and he's a, he's a, he's an amazing little character. Um, but yeah, Barovia is is one of those <laughs> places I think has those extra uh, layers yeah. that makes it really engaging and um, not quite what it seems on the surface. I know from the surface you kind of hate the place, <laughs> Addison, uh, but. Yeah, but but you 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 haven't you haven't had the chance to explore. It. We only had what two sessions oh, before yeah, lockdown no, I, started. I, I, I hate the but place. you know, if if we were to continue <laughs> no, exploring I, 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 it, then you would have saw those little bits of light in the dark place of Barovia. I, the Go thing on. is, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I the thing is, I don't hate it in terms of like as a setting. I actually think it's a really good setting, and I like like again that purpose is to hamper you and impede you and like. Strahd needs you to stay the hell away from him and not kill him. So the world that he created is there going, yeah, don't go near Strahd. Like, like that that makes sense. It's just that I hated <laughs> playing in it because I just felt like I was losing all the time and I'm a bad loser. I'm not going to lie. I'm right. not going to... I'm this not going to... Yeah. Um, but I think with one last thing before we head off onto the next thing, which is homebrew settings. Like, do you, um, because Leon kind of touched on it and it's something that I did want to ask. Um, do you think that settings are, are, are just geography? Like, some people are very much like, settings are just geography. I can insert whatever people I want in there. Or do you think that there are certain NPCs that a setting needs in order to, um, like staple npcs that are setting needs in order to be like this layered good provocative thing uh leon yeah. uh, sean sorry oh thank you um yeah um to be honest to cut a, a, a long answer short uh, no I, I i think the trouble often is with a setting that's particularly well detailed um except in ravenloft's case because the bad guy is just <laughs> too cool for school i love that guy yeah um I call him Vlad the Impaler. I know that's not his name, but that's just who I refer to. Well, who he's literally based on. That's <laughs> who he reminds me so much of. Yeah. But it, it, the classic the classic part of all of this really is very simple. I know from a GMing perspective that whenever I spent a lot of time building these NPCs, even if the players interacted with them, they weren't the ones they loved. It was often the ones that I kind of come up with on the fly that they fell in love with. So I, yeah. I've always kind of spent more time on uh, you know, I have some key NPCs the players may interact with, but if they don't, that's okay. And if they find others that they really enjoy interacting with, then that's great. Let's build that Blinksy story that you have. You know, that kind of thing. That really works. We've all got them. I mean, I've got some classics in, in my time. Atelka hurts, and that's a character I can bring back. Um, uh, Mendes is a character for Cthulhu who always comes back. There's, there's so many different personalities that just come back. I think that's what happens when you GM for a long time. You have split personalities, various <laughs> NPCs that you enjoy. And often the players enjoy too because they, they see the fun in those characters. And that is another part of it. it. It's the fun. And even the bad guys, you kind of admire them in a weird way because they have those schemes. And that's part of the fun as well, I think, if it's done well. 
What about you, Leon? Do you think that uh, a setting is just geography, or do you think that? It yeah, I mean, I mean, um, you know, if you're going to boil uh, it down to geography, like, a setting is just going to be that. NPCs. It's just going to be geography. It, 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 it's what is among the geography that brings the the place to life. Um, I mean, Sean's already touched on most of it, so I'll, I'll just say that um, it's really the NPCs. It's what's happening. It's the history. Um, you know, it's 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 all that kind of stuff that brings the geography to life. Mm. I like that. I I my my response is uh, all I ever think of when I think of NPCs, like staple NPCs that make us setting what it is. I always think of Xanathar. I always think of Xanathar sitting below <laughs> water deep. Like waiting, trying not to get his fish killed, but then his fish dying and someone having to replace it. I think that idea of like some of these great characters are, are, are too good to not be a part of the setting. So I understand your point, Sean, about the fact that you can make the greatest characters in the world, uh, NPCs in the world, and nobody cares about them. But I do think it, uh, some of those ideas, like you said, Mendez, those reoccurring characters are so good that they just become part of the setting and you just like would you use mendez for example in a in a dnd game or oh yeah always... i would yeah depending on the i mean i don't i don't if i know it's players i've played with before i've never brought them up again but mm. it's it's often you know these characters will you know will come alive and that's where warhammer you know i brought warhammer fantasy into it at the beginning because it's got the most provocative setting you have mm. chaos rather than dark creatures it's chaos yeah. that has come out of you know god knows where it's come from and it's lurking in the shadows people have begun to realize it's there but thankfully it doesn't seem to be organized but that's the magic of a wonderful setting plus it's got all these wonderful towns with provocative names with the Reich River that actually has a proper trading system that exists and makes you feel invested immediately into it. That actually, you can make money on the river is a game in itself. You know, yeah. plus there's all sorts of clever things that happen in trading. Like, yeah, would you like to take this large box on your boat? How much would it cost? It's this much, and then you later find out it's a vampire you've loaded onto your boat. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> staggeringly brilliantly funny. Yeah, there are yeah. so many clever bits. They also have a sense of humour in that setting, which. I like, and particularly in this this kind of time period we're now, Warhammer did it best. They had humour through the name sometimes. I mean, Boggenhaven, the big boss, was known as Edam Savanovich, the big cheese. I mean, it's really, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. I mean, you you may miss them, you know, yeah. when it's first said, Edam Savanovich, that's the big boss. And then later you realise he's the big cheese. And <laughs> I love that. And, and the other thought that they did within that setting, which again really inspired me, and they go back a long way for this, was the f one of the very first handouts I ever had was a little handout on it, which had at the very bottom a, a maker's mark, a printer's mark on the handout you go to the players. And that is critical within the game. It becomes very important. So when the players discover and work out, you know, where did this handout come from? And they see that maker's mark, they can go and investigate it. Suddenly your handouts have even more. In, in time that inspired me to have watermarks, hidden things in the paper, hundreds of things because of their inspiration. And then it made me inspired to create systems on systems because of the setting. So it's not just geography. The geography evokes, it absolutely evokes, it drips with the setting if it's done well. You you can't help but love Middenheim, Altdorf, um, Boggenhaven. They're all names that are canon. If you've ever played one, you, they, they, anybody that knows it will just immediately know what it is. Um, it's an amazing thing. So done well, 
it, yeah. it's everything. It's everything, but it, it, it's they do it in a unique style that really fits. So I like your answers. It really works for me. That yeah. I do. I like the way you've looked at that. Awesome, brilliant. So I feel as though published material should succeed because it has these big teams. But actually, we've kind of said that sometimes they miss the mark or sometimes they're a bit too close yeah. together um so when we get bored of that gonna, we, we have to do this back thing, and let you guys talk about this this is not my so way let's explore <laughs> how it's okay it's okay i can learn from you guys it's fine uh, uh well uh, well yeah yeah so well it, yeah. that's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty simple thing actually um home if you want to do it well um, have a good library of normal books mm. and have a very wide geography of those books and pick two out at random. And then that will give you something really weird that may or may not work. And that's mm. effectively how things like Firefly, the TV series, come together. You know, Space yeah. and Cowboys. Yeah? yeah. Because you wouldn't expect it to work, but it does work. So um, a, an example of this would be something I thought about the other day. So when I was asked, funny enough, about, you know, have you got any kind of ideas? Because that's often what I'm used for with any RPG interest that come to me for mechanical ideas or, you know, have you got an idea for this or what do you think of that? And somebody said, you know, what, what area hasn't been explored in a setting? You know, what kind of thing hasn't been explored? And I said, you know, what I'd love to see. I'd love to see feudal Japan in space. Big corporations, feudal Japan, the focus on feudal Japan in space. Ooh. I'd love I'd absolutely Ooh. love that. Shogun ninjas and have all sorts of thoughts around that. Now, for me, that's an unexplored area that's never been tackled. One, basis of the past focused on the future. So just imagine that feudal Japan became the world mm -hmm. and then went into space. What mm. would that look like? I can see all this Yakuza, hidden bosses, all sorts of stuff that would be just so cool. And I would love all that. Now that would really get. I my wonder. Mind. I wonder if, if Firefly was never cancelled. I wonder if they would have uh, bought in those uh, Japanese-style so elements. Because uh, in 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 the film, there was um, there was the character, the assassin, who was quite basically possibly. styled after a, a ninja slash samurai because he had the sword, um, and he would and he would do he would do the hand-to-hand -hand combat. He very much felt like a ninja. Yeah. 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 And. And in, West very, yeah. and in Westworld, they kind of touched on it, Feudal Japan, but they didn't do anything with it, which is just yeah. it's like just an extension of Westworld, which is a shame. And I do think that there is something in that for a designer to go off and do. And it would be really good fun and really great. If you gave the culture the respect that it deserves and still had that integrity to its past, I think it'd be an amazing setting. I really mm. do. So that's just an example of what you could do if yeah. you just plow anything that you can think of and just put it together. Um, yeah. I can certainly see a very interesting game in that. So the thing with Firefly is that um, one of the things yeah. that uh, yeah. Firefly does really well is they, they kind of predicted the uh, the Chinese takeover of like trade and stuff like that because everything was like Chinese. And like if you look at a lot of the martial arts moves that the assassins use, and this is me being my martial arts nerd self, it was very, all very wushu-based, like kung fu-based. Right, like, very much like um, you'll notice that he uses his wrist a lot, and well, like, does I, wrist lock stuff. Well, I love all I love all that because I just thought you know when you think about this feudal like, this feudal Japan idea, you could have you you would move the the karate slash uh, the, the the various styles into actually powers of the mind. Is yeah. how it would come. So you'd have yeah. like those kind of powers of the mind, which would be really cool for certain people who could tap into it. 
yeah. I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So just just an idea, <laughs> just something just, I kind of came up with. Just for listeners' sake, because I've, I've realised that we've kind of went balls to the wall and not actually explain what homebrew is. So homebrew, for people who don't know, is the stuff we make up ourselves. It's like our very own custom material, independent of any publisher most of the time. We might take inspiration from stuff. And um, it's kind of like your own custom D- DLC for a game, for a, for yeah. a tabletop RPG game. And um, so, Sean, if we t- if we carry on with this, like, how what what do we do with that setting then? Apart from the, that interesting thing about like the fact that it's an interesting premise, how do we make that live and breathe as a homebrew yeah. setting? And so what, is it similar to what we've already yeah. said? So, what you would do is, if like anything, if you're building an adventure or a campaign or even a well, so if you were talking about building the absolute setting first, you start small. That's, that's the first thing you have to do. You, you literally will take a sandbox, an area that's big enough that, and it might be, a you know, in my ideas, a little bit big, but maybe a planetary system of maybe 10 or 12 planets or something that you, you think that you can keep the players in that for a period of time before they have the power to jump further, maybe. And maybe you can control that simply. I'm just spitballing here. These are just ideas that are coming to me as I'm saying it. So, yeah, I haven't thought about them. Yeah. Maybe there is a gate that leaves that planet. Sorry, that, that solar system. So the gate technology is available. But the people who have the power of that gate you have to pay an absolute arm and a leg to use it. They do not tell you how it's used. You can risk jumping through it, but mm-hmm. it's a risk. So there's a kind of a control you've already built into your setting. So that's the first thing. You start with a simple area, and then you define that out. You hone in um, to create that first. And then see what catches fire. You want a rough idea of the overall idea, but you want to see what captures the player's imaginations and then build it on. You don't have to have this campaign setting book that's on everything because frankly yeah. the players aren't going to be everywhere particularly if no. it's a fantasy game then the reality is they're, they're limited by the distance they can travel and even if it's a space game you're limited by the distance you're able to travel so mm. you have some controls and that's what i would do to start with and fine-tune the idea down into a specific thing you're interested in kind of looking at to start with that you think is going to whet the player's appetite and the easiest way to do that is in the building process get your players involved it's yeah. the easiest way it don't feel you have to do it with all the heavy lifting you can still be running a campaign for people and say i'm thinking ahead um i've got this idea what do you think and if, if it's shot down before you even reach the building phase because your players you know players that you really trust don't really aren't interested they're going to tell you most players are fairly honest but if they go oh i really like the sound of that i'm interested to know more and i've, I've studied feudal japan and that's my wheelhouse which i may not have known till i've said it great so you're already got buying in and you're you're already, you know, a portion of the way there before you even begin, because now your players are going to be throwing some really interesting ideas at you. So that's that's what I would do. Start like you do any adventure. Start small and build the campaign out. World building is exactly the same. Start small, build it outwards and keep it simple. You don't need to invent everything. Just know enough that you understand it and enough of interesting areas to explore. So. Yeah, that's the way I would go about it, to be honest, to begin with. It kind of sounds like Troy's uh, thing of loading screens, Leon. Like the idea of, like, you give them a certain bit, and then if they go over to that bit, you load that bit up. We're, like, almost on, not on the fly, but you have some materials, but, like, then you develop it as they explore it sort of thing. It's almost like finding the the bits on the mini-map in a video game. Um, Leon, what was, as as a player, let's get you involved in this somehow. Did, um, did that make sense to Leon? I'm kind of curious yeah. to see if 
I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask him. Would that is does that make sense to you? It does and make do sense you to think me. That would yeah. excite you as a player having that <laughs> idea. Sorry for my lack of insight on that, but yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I I I get it, and I like the way like from that small idea that you had, Sean, and I think that's something we forget is that you you automatically add layers on when you think of the hyperspace gate. Is controlled by someone you add an oppressor you add an antagonist without yeah. even without even actually doing anything like you've not yeah. you've not named them you've not done anything you've just went well they need to get to the gate but the gate costs a lot so now there's an antagonist already and i've not even yeah. named them like and they may may well control the power because if you control yeah. the gate you you control all the power so immediately yeah. it's not a secret they're going to give away you know yeah. and that, that's great you know it yeah. just adds adds layers yeah i like i I, I like that, and I also think you you touch on like the purpose of something. So like this idea of, uh, and that's some of that I, I will always say is is really important. Is like what is your world trying to do, and what makes it different. So it's almost like the USP uh, purpose thing together in one. So like in your example, the unique point is like these different factions, like these different shoguns and different um, different warlords. In yeah. the form of corporations. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm a bit of a, a, a an East East Asian uh, history nerd because I used to play a lot of like Samurai Warriors and Dynasty Warriors games. So I like know a lot about it. So you've 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 touched a nerve, and my heart is like full. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I do think you see. I think because it's an honor. See what I like about this. You see, this is why I think this is a, a clever, good idea. It's just an idea. It could really be expanded out on. Is when it comes to people in the future. Those that are really honourable, they're not going to fight with blasters and space. They're going to use swords. That's what they're going to use because that's the way they'll that go you, backwards to show their skill, back, won't they? Show their skill, and that really adds a layer to me. That is like, oh wow, that's really cool. You know, oh, I really yeah. like that idea. You don't, you're not going to get the blaster out. Oh yeah, if you're a thug, you use a blaster. If you're proper, you're going to get your sword out. You're show a gentleman. Your yeah. I love all that. See, that's just superb, and even adds an element that you just rarely see anymore, which is when a it's like a bit like Rome. When a situation occurs where, it, and, and that's a magical thing about deep politics that you can get in a feudal game like that with Japan, which is wonderful, like Rome, where you're, something happens and the only recourse you have as a player is, I've got no option. <laughs> you know, just, I just yeah. think that's absolutely brilliant. You, yeah. know, you, you just can't put a price on that. Um, I quite like the idea of like, so obviously Hamilton's just come out and me and my wife are quite obsessed with it. I like the idea of dueling like yeah. even like just with even with guns like and like you realize that actually there was like this massive code to dueling and like you had to send people and send letters all the time and one of the bits in the in the, in the show is that um these two people are sending letters to each other over years before it becomes this duel and he said he says you've got to answer for your crimes against me and, and the guy who he's accusing turns around and goes you're gonna have to cite a more specific grievance here's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreements I love and that. in yeah. in history alexander hamilton actually sent aaron burr every single time they'd fought i love yeah. that, uh, so that, that idea. Again, that's brilliant because that again that works because you know again for this kind of just thinking around a setting off the fly i i definitely see the you know angles that you can go down you can have the kind of um religious sect and what they strive for but you can also have the kind of if you want the lovers you can kind of have that how love 
is uh, an important layer. It's not just something that you do. It's actually something you work towards. No matter how off bounds that person may be, you would strive. You would work. Letter write to them. You would work at it. You would. Those things are lost a little, and we need to bring some of those elements back into good settings. Like the I social politics. Social right. stuff needs to come back a bit more. So it'd be really good to have, and particularly in in light of everything we've said, I think that's needed because it, we can show a way that it can be done in a really positive way, which would be really of great. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let's move towards this thing then. We've we've got our shoguns in space. Um, we've 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 fixed it. We've 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 published it or whatever, and we go to our players. How, what is it that we're going to do, and what is it that as GMs we're going to do with that homebrew setting that makes us go? Well, it makes our players go, yeah, I want that. I want that so much. How do we uh, convince players of our creative vision, and how do we um, get them? To yeah, just want please to play. do. I, I am enjoying listening to Would you. Would you like me to continue um, talking? It's a pleasure having someone of your experience going. on this podcast, honestly. Okay. Please do. That's why you're here. Thank you very much. So it's really appreciate. <laughs> I didn't want to like take over here, so I really appreciate you giving me the space to talk. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously, hopefully, you've had that creative initial part where you've brought your players into the creative process. Hopefully, what you've got is that immediate. Wow, I really like this idea. This is great, Sean. Um, and they'll give you a steer. That's fine. And then what you want to do is it's about the layers now. So it's about those deeper layers, the darker layers, some of the more interesting layers. You know, the hidden secret clan politics. The various things that a player may have that they have to do because it's part of the honor system so mm. it might be certain situations where you cannot like you may not be able to resist a duel that could be part of your clan you know you can never resist a duel or mm. you know you can never walk away from someone in need which would be great you know i mean what a great piece that would be someone mm. in need you have to stand up for them you know th those kind of things would be absolutely epic in this and would create some amazing situations so that's that's kind of how we do it and i also think one of the the keys to getting the player initial buy-in is the process of building those characters in session zero and outlining kind of the beginning Definitely, yeah um that initial session zero those character sheets want to drip of this kind of evocativeness you want to drip it so it it wants to feel more feudal than sci-fi and the character <laughs> sheet wants to reflect that value very clearly yes you've got all this kind of tech but the people that are really powerful don't rely on it you know that's the that's the thing that i think is really interesting about it yes it's a need you have to use it but they've got different aspirations and different goals and i think that's what makes it fun this kind of exploration then stretches out and then what lies out there to challenge these secret societies what else is out there that they've come across and then you can come back to real life maybe a virus has swept the planetary systems have created chaos and people are looking for a cure maybe there's all sorts that you can tap into that you know works or maybe one area of the solar system is out of bounds and risky uh, you know so many different things you could do so that's probably how i would do it start with the character sheets to get the buy-in hopefully you've got the players loving the kind of character classes that are involved within the setting and then some of the stuff that you kind of hint at but isn't there yet that they have to work towards to gain like maybe the chivalrous kind of you know someone who's for a chivalrous clan or romantic clan something very unique that you have to have done certain amount of things before you can actually earn that title and there should be titles because it 
has that feel of a game that you know people are rewarded whether it's land or whether it's titles or whatever it is should have that feel to it and that, that honor should drip through it too so that's how i i would try to get it by but it's not for everybody and there's not most settings are not for everybody but if you okay, can get yeah. the right group um get the right group you're you're off and running and then you know it's wherever the imagination takes you uh yeah that's that's a really good point actually that idea of like uh, that session zero i my thing that i do when i create a setting or i create a campaign is show is give the players agency and show that they can change things so for example in our example if we keep running with this like shoguns in space idea like have one of the players if they really wanted to like you are one of the shoguns and these guys are your vassals and yeah like the and that's yeah. And like so they can actively implement change in this world by doing things like uh, by obeying that honor system by creating a like they have power to create a treaty with another uh region of the of the or another empire company whatever they can go and like that could be like the adventure hook like you were going to do a political mission and we're not sure it's going to go well so we're going to take everybody and then the other players are those are they are everybody else and like they have to protect they they then have agency because they have to protect one of these really important vips who if they die there's a massive issue um in like a power vacuum or whatever and or like the other companies will come in and sweep in and then that other guy has like this uh, almost weight of the universe on his shoulders because he's like if i fuck this up we are going to war like so i think giving those characters in that session zero stakes and agency to Im to impact change on the world is really important to make people buy in because if it's just static a bit like how yeah. the sword coast is yeah. sword coast is very static there's so much law like Drizzle word and somewhere in the fucking mountains just doing his thing and he's always going to be more epic than you are so what's the point um so i think that's really I th important i, I think you touch on players. another great point in that it's worth mentioning here just because it's it's so perfect for it is that a little bit of metagaming is not a bad thing so people know what a yakuza is they've got a kind of an idea what a shogun is those things help you as a gm you know it does help you because immediately you have an investment you don't need to explain every detail because it's so unique that's one of the problems with unique mm -hmm. settings people don't understand what you mean i want the setting to really be clear without needing to make a role or law or something to you know a lot of it i'd like you to know kind of know without me having to explain it and then other things we can peel the layers back yeah Do you agree with that Leon? ultimately at the end of the game at the end of the day under the sun um, you should steal ideas it's from a game. people as much as you it's can, a game and um, you know in, in the same way you would meta game in a video game it, it's it's not wrong to do it you know as long as you're not you know reading stat blocks and things like that you know it, it's not that much of an issue is it it's a game yeah 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 hmm. yeah it's it's for the purpose of pushing the game along or helping with uh, immersion there's nothing wrong with that um so one of the things that i think people make a mistake with when they are building homebrew worlds and they're creating things is they think that everything has to be 100 percent original no, no, no. Uh, this whole thing is built I on tropes. The like, whole thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. The whole thing. Like, like for example, one of my most successful worlds that I've ever built is called Ramp. And what all I did with that is take 30 days of night, the film, and extend that to a whole season. And then add all the things 
from D&D that also come out at night, not just vampires in Alaska. Like, I was like, you know what? What would it be like if, like, every four years, everybody's just preparing for this, like, three months of continuous nighttime that is just coming and everything comes out and goes bump in the night? And, like, so I thought about that. I didn't go, right, I need a completely original thing. Like, obviously, everybody's going to want lights in that time. So one of the missions is... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually gagging to do a samurai world, but thanks to Sean, and I'm like, oh, no, I need to, I need to be, I need to be a samurai. I need to like be fleeing for Sakikahara or something. Like, again, like I know most of the battles, so I'm like, they're like, I could, I could do this. I could make Nobunaga Oda. I could do Mm. it right here, right now. (laughs) It's so great. You, we're magpies. We take, we steal everything. If it's not, if it's not nailed down, I take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, fri- I'm not frightened to say if somebody says something to me. It often happens. I was, was on holiday years ago. I was in Athens, places, and uh, I happened to be saw this chap who was working in a, a graveyard. He was a really interesting old man. He had this kind of ragged face. I thought, wow, that's a really interesting looking guy. I, I wonder if he speaks English. I classic English. We expect everybody to speak English. So I wandered up there, you know. And I got chatting to him and it was kind of pidgin English and we kind of hit it off quite well and he invited me back to his house. It was ever so funny. And when we got there, I found out he was their local gravekeeper and and he was telling me about the use of lime, you know, how lime destroys dead bodies in 30 days. I stored that away. You know, that's like an instant, wow, you know, bang, I've got, I I can use this. So in life, you know, wherever you walk every day, there's always something you get and you can use in your games, whether it's now, 10 years, 15, 20 years, there's always something. And the more that you've stored away, because that's what a great magpie does, the better it is. Because at a split second, like you just said with Purge World, now my mind's gone, oh yeah, wouldn't it be fun if in one of my games some point, for no reason, the characters wander into a town and they don't know that the night they wander in is Purge Night? Great. <laughs> I'm just thought, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. I love that. So, um, you know, everything goes. Yeah. I'd, 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 I'd tell you something that from real life. I'd, I don't know how you live in the Ketchup. No, I've only been here for a couple of years. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not that do, do you know like Rothwell and Desborough? <laughs> yeah, I do know them. I'm not really native to the era, but I have been what about you, Sean? I've now been up this way. Do you quite, know the, do you know the festival they do <laughs> once a year? In I think it's in Rothwell, where it's, it's, it is a dark place. It's like the elephant graveyard. But... Um, they do this thing where they basically play football like it, all the men in the town get oh, hammered yeah. I mean, my, and play like first, really high contact football my brother ever runs throughout the me, town and i don't play village. very many games we, i like gming it's just the way i am but my brother ran a game for me when we were much younger and it's about two towns playing with a head try and get it to a goal and it's an excellent it was an excellent story because it's real life yeah. you've seen them play football in these towns and they go over miles of distance kicking this football great i mean you take inspiration wherever you can find yeah. it that's what that's what settings and what gms do and and that's what we all do you know yeah. that's and that's the best piece of advice that anybody could ever give you really is like these guys have said just magpie it away steal it um take any ideas you can nothing is nothing is sacred to a gm you know we don't mind if you borrow take stuff from us we don't care um we we, we quite happily take wherever we can get it well i think that I need to take all this. I need to run away and go make some money. Personally, there's something there for you. Joking, joking. Obviously, I cut you in. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, so I want to talk about settings we'd like to see because I think that the tabletop RPG world, with this new like renaissance that it's seen, is seeing like this massive influx of people getting into the space and including new like intellectual properties of already existing shows, video games. Me and Leon were talking about the fact that the game Desperado, which is a long time like uh, like Mexican standoff sort of like sim, like tactical shooter. Um, that's been on computer since the 90s because I remember having a copy on like uh, when there was still dial-up. So it's always been around. Has right. recently released okay. a completely free RPG, um, uh, League of Legends. The the video game has got involved with Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Um, what's is there any particular settings from like a popular? form of media that you'd love to see get like its own tabletop rpg system or be introduced in fifth edition or pathfinder or whatever or do you think that actually you'd prefer them to like leave it out and stay out in in their lane what do you think about that guys what hasn't been done first this point a big question (laughs) um there, there, there is a Witcher TTRPG. Um, <laughs> what point. else is there? There's, uh, there's, there's Dragon Age. Um, there's Game of Thrones. It feels like there's a, a, an RPG for everything at the moment. Well, um, I, I think, I think you touch on the point that's perfect, actually, Leon. Which is, I've always said, I think I've mentioned this to you before, Addison. That actually, the truth is that there are actually there's seven, seven key stories. Break it up however you like. I think you know this from a creative point of view. Um, the same, there's a kind of a truth to yeah. why fantasy is the biggest selling and most popular because it's the easiest one, it's more controllable, it's the easiest one for people to gravitate into. And there's lots of reasons. But if you want to just, if you want to say what's, what is out there, well, it's easy. Grab a book, challenge yourself as a GM or a designer, grab that book, take it, build it. Um, and that is the quickest way as a player and a GM, if you want to challenge yourself as a GM, Take a book that you, not your style, not your genre, take that book, design a mini system around creating characters in it, and try to run that story without telling the players that's what you're doing. And once you finish running it, no matter how small, three, four sessions, whatever it is, give them the book and say, read it and say, how good, how good did you feel I got to the story in that book? Did, it, did you feel without me railroading you? Did you feel that story come out? And look at where we ended up compared to the book. It's the greatest way. Of from a designing point of view, challenging yourself as well as being a GM and challenging yourself, it's the quickest way to find out what genres work. And now I've got some great favourites. One of my favourite is uh, Robert Ludlum's book that I. This is originally where I learned the idea from, and it's a wonderful book about the Holcroft Covenant, and it's a story about a man who uh, is uh, phoned up. It's 1980s, set in the 80s, early 80s, who's phoned up from a, a Swiss bank in Zurich and is told he's the beneficiary of. A particular chap who's is basically there's a lot of money at stake can he make his way to switzerland immediately and of course he looks into it to find out this is real and then heads there and then there's a complete story about what this money is but in essence what it is is fourth reich money and this man they need the germans need him to get this money out so they can actually kill him off and start using it it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant so it's a great also part of the story is he's got to find the other people who are also heirs to this fortune and bring them all together to the zurich bank um and of course they want him to do this so there's lots of little th- clues along the way to try and lull him along and it's absolutely excellent it's an excellent story but it really challenges you but fun because it's a period i wasn't familiar with that's one of the reasons why i've kind of i've cut my teeth on fantasy that's where i grew up and loved and i love dungeons and Dragons. i think fifth edition is brilliant frankly um 
it's a real tour de force back into what makes it great. But I also like the challenge of things like Cthulhu. I'm not. It's funny. I've become well known with Cthulhu, but it's not a system that actually, you know, I can honestly say it wasn't necessarily my first love. But it's a system I've grown to love because it's made me challenge me in a unique way, and I wouldn't be able to do that unless I was pushed a little bit and said, "Hey, you got to cut your teeth on this if you want to find out how good you are at something." And that's a great way of learning. So grab a book, any book, particularly if it's not popular, find a book from the 50s and 60s pulp culture, find one and run it. You'll be surprised at what comes out. There's some amazing ideas in there. That, that is a good point. I've, I think that some people have said about uh, running biographies. So like you find somebody's biography who had an interest in life. Oh, one uh, of my friends is very, very obsessed with like Theodore Roosevelt and how like cool his life was. He says like he literally he had to read it at uni and he said like, um, what he does all these cool things. He's like, next you're going to tell me is the president. He becomes the president of the United States, and obviously the next chapter is literally when I became the president of the United States. Yeah. So he's like, fuck's sake! Like, <laughs> and but he said like when he found out I was into Dungeons and Dragons, he was like, you know, you could actually make the, probably the best campaign ever if you somehow had this guy and his mates who were adventurers, and one of them becomes the president of like their or the king of their country or something yeah, like that. You're absolutely using I mean, what he's learned and everything. Like, it would be... and it's ridiculous to say this because, again, this is we were collaborating and kind of coming up with ideas together. I was we kind of had an, an idea as two GMs originally to build a world together and then put two different groups in it who didn't know that they were playing in this world quite close together. And then eventually they would overlap and we'd bring them to the table as a group of 12, which was really great fun. But during that process, part of his designing, he built this character and it, it was absolutely excellent. This character was a pacifist. It was it's beautiful, the, the piece that he did on it. And, it. and it was only afterwards I said, you know, where was your inspiration? He said, well, it was obvious, really. It's Gandhi. <laughs> it's, just, it's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> brilliant. And, and I was like, oh, wow, that's so powerful. And the, the politics that came out through this character who would not fight, who was putting up this. It was amazing. And again, we can learn a lesson. You know, we really can. So brilliant, really creating those characters from those real life historians i know that there's a there's a massive thing about gamification in the classroom and using dungeons and dragons to like go through like historical figures and characters in books yeah in i do it at my i do it at my the school i work for i work with special needs children and part of that i have the great privilege now of working i'm very fortunate to work in what's called the pastoral unit there very very fortunate job to have because it really sidelines it, it's that classic it keeps me legal yeah. <laughs> it's that classic keeps me legal i'm, I'm actually a taxpayer you know? <laughs> uh, but it, it's this brilliant thing of um what i love is i'm able to then you know because it's a very nice job in terms of the hours you can do all your gaming stuff and you can do all your creating as well as and and that's also very nice but through that of course i work with some very special children who the art of when you GM for them, and that's a skill in itself. But the creative stuff that comes out of that, I, some of it's been amazing. I can tell you, the one time I had a, a full battle with a, a young lad who, and it was literally, we did it with Lego pieces. And it's the most amazing, th I mean, I never thought of it that way before, but because of his mind, brilliant. Lego ships, couple of bricks on each end. You've suddenly got a little boat, easy to show, units in Lego units, fabulous. I mean, the cheapest way of having a war I've ever seen in my life. And it felt so good. We had this battle that lasted, what, I think it was seven seven days equivalent, seven lunch breaks, where it was these two sides battling off each other. Obviously, I had to let him win. I didn't want the place destroyed. But, <laughs> yeah. but of course, it was great because he learned so much through the play. And that's what role play does as well. It really can help people, and particularly people perhaps who struggle maybe in some social ways 
they can bring out the best in themselves and actually feel more comfortable in social circles, which I find is one of the, another great thing about role playing. There is no, there's everybody's included. That's the magical thing about it. Well, it's it's time, Leon. Grab the dice and let's plug in for the deck of many questions. Sean, we'd love for you to join us in this. Are you down? Oh, absolutely. Really excited about it. Can't wait. So the deck of many questions is our end segment for those who are listening, where we take user submitted questions and randomly ask uh, one to each of the people on the show for today. Um, if you would like to submit questions, either submit them in the comments below or onto our social medias and stack the deck either in or against our favor. Now, Leon and Sean, let's see. Let's roll to see who goes first, second and third, and then we'll get down to those juicy questions and sean would like to do two two questions is that all right leon because i'm greedy you see so i really yeah, appreciate fine. you allowing me that extra opportunity yeah he wants to show off in a hole. he's flexing on us leon we can only manage one okay well sean's going first and oh, okay. he has got question 41 41 question 41 is submitted by alex boston yep and the question is, have you ever regretted starting a campaign, even if it turned out well? Yeah, you do actually go through uh, sometimes as a GM because it's a selfless act being a GM. And you will do campaigns. And my campaigns normally always last two plus years, to be honest. And sometimes you put that two years in and you know you're not doing it for you. You're just doing it for your players. And, and that is the hardest thing of all sometimes as a GM for me. Um, but it's a, it's like a quid pro quo. You you do it because it, it may not be the campaign you're enjoying the most, but it's funny, it's always the case that the campaign you don't enjoy the most is the one the players remember 30 years later. Let me tell you that. So never see them as anything other than what they are, which is, you know, just do your best, do whatever you think is going to work, be a bit selfless at times for your players, and the rewards will speak for themselves because I promise you, even though you might regret that you didn't enjoy it as much as some of the others and you felt some of the campaigns that you thought were amazing, the players didn't really get as much as this one that stands out in their mind for reasons that you still don't understand. That doesn't matter. It, it is part of the process of being a, what I call a great GM. You just you have to go through these hoops. And it is sometimes really difficult for others to understand because people think as a GM, it's all about what you want and it actually isn't and that's the surprising thing that i came out of after years of gming that you know there are times where you'll put things together and it really isn't for you at all and you you kind of regret it a little but you never really regret it because you know i'm still committed to making sure it's the best game i can run awesome that's a that's a great answer to that question um uh leon do you want to go second or would you like me to go second we'll we'll let sean and, and then we'll do sean's end. last one at the end yeah fabulous yeah. thank you all right, so Addison, you have question nine. Ooh. Question nine is submitted by Paige. If you could put together a party of four and you could choose anybody to play, dead or alive, who would you choose? So this is Sean, do you want to take this one? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to take this question. I mean, I, <laughs> I actually have a party of four in mind, actually, surprisingly. I'm, so, I'm sure you don't know this, do you? Um, <laughs> no. um, if I had to... Um, put together a party it would be these people as the ones i would choose and for these roles as well so ibris you know uh, the the great detective ibris it's my favorite oh yeah Id idris elba yes please yeah. thank you for helping yeah. me out i have the same problem every time with his name um, <laughs> i absolutely love his portrayal of characters and it's his mannerisms his body language that really just i can't help 
my eyes are always focused on him. It could 50 people in a room and it's him I look at. Um, so I'd love him to play the High Wizard. I'd love to see what he does with that role. I just think he'd be perfect for it. I'd get Cumberbatch and reverse roles on him because I love his portrayal of Sherlock. So he'd be my rogue in my group and I'd love to see what he could do with a rogue character. Um, and then I take a very controversial figure who I love just purely from the way he portrayed his voice, which is Winston, Winston Churchill. And he would be my bard for negotiation purposes because I'd really enjoy that. Old man mix. Everybody thinks a bard has to be charismatic. But you can be that through the voice. And I'd love to hear how he would handle difficult situations. And then, of course, you've got to have somebody just because you want him. And it's Drew Barrymore. She can play any character she likes <laughs> in my group. So that's the four that I would choose for my party. Um, and I'd be happy to tag along with them and, and see where this 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 leads us. That is, I can, that is an amazing party. Winston Churchill with a new College of Eloquence from uh, Ferros. You'll find them on the beaches. That'd be great fun, yeah. Yeah, using some of his quotes. He has some great one-liners. He's a very funny man, actually. A lot of people didn't realise that some of his humour, like, there's a great quote one time during his uh, Prime Minister years, and and it was the difficult dark time in London. He was stopped literally on the street, because then people could actually stop the Prime Minister. And he was literally stopped on the, the, the steps of 10 Downing Street, and people were moaning about him. And one woman in particular said, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. And you've got to remember the 1940s. And he turns around as quick as a flash and says, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. And it's that kind of stuff that really <laughs> inspires me. It's actually quite funny. All right, then. That I'll take a question. Then, Leon, you can see us out and we'll head off question into the social media. Question 28, Addison. Question 28. So that is... That's submitted by me. Uh... I think I've done this question before. It's about the characters from film and TV and stuff. Let's roll again. You have question 26. 26. Also submitted by me. But what is the one piece of official published D&D material, race, class, spell, etc. you would change if you had the chance? Ooh, now, that's a great question. Ooh, this is so, a good one. There's a few answers I have for this. I'm up for basically any time you get a companion... Anytime you get some sort of like animal companion, uh, a familiar, the the beastmaster ranger, and in a way the artificer, like they they need some serious work because actually PHB rangers animal thing and the mechanic of how it works doesn't work properly. Like it, it's not very good, like at all. Um, you can't tame larger animals. Your animal has to like take your turn. You don't fight in tandem with it. It fights for you, which isn't the, the flavor text that it gives off. And then the familiar as well does the same sort of thing where it's like it can't attack. But then as of as a as a familiar, you can get like a quasit, which is better than most of the ranger um, things because it can turn invisible and it can transform and imps and pseudo dragons but it still can't attack even though we know from folklore and stuff that familiars are very accustomed to uh defending themselves in um in legend and stuff like that so it just it, and then you've got the artificer that just gets this massive metal dog that's just awesome and you're like well what's the point then like i thought you were supposed to be like creating things not just wandering around with like fallout new vegas is like robot dog it makes no sense to me so i think my that would be my bit of like of published content is like familiars like animal companions and like anything that gives you like a companion because uh, it just it just doesn't work it seems as if like 
they want you to not enjoy having that and using it to its fullest potential. They're like, oh yeah, you can have an animal companion, but it takes all your attacks. And it's like, well, what's the point of it then? Like, it feels like they're just there to use the help action and give you advantage yeah. on your attacks. Yeah, uh, but sometimes they have some really cool abilities that you would like to use yeah, exactly. um, for their attacks. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I feel as if it should be a bonus action because the, the whole point of the Beastmaster, especially in previous editions of D&D &D and Pathfinder, it's been like you fight with your animal and actually your, your animal grows a lot better and you can eventually tame better yeah. animals or, or have like a menagerie of animals that follow you around and like like an army of animals with you and it's like that's sick whereas the php ranger is a bit like meh we know you like pets <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah good that answer. would be good that would be my uh thing leon what question would you like my friend i would like question 32 please question 32 is submitted by page and what makes a bad player, in your opinion? What makes a bad player, in That's your a opinion? Great question. Um, there's, there's a few answers to this episode. Um, the the one that instantly springs to mind is the is is the murder hobo, um, the guy who walks into a pub and just decides to punch somebody in the face, um, or the guy who you know is in the middle of a conversation with somebody who's being perfectly cordial and decides to shoot him in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I, I feel attacked. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's there's the player who, I, I think probably the biggest one is the player that refuses to be a team player. Um, you know, somebody who would um, cast silence in a room where you're having a fight in, so that all of your um, spellcasters can't use half of their spells now. Um, I think that's, that. that's, that's that the worst happen. type of player. Yeah, that yeah that's the worst type of player, I think. The one that just refuses to be a team player. You know, you'll have this 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 mission that you're all on, and uh, the player decides, you know what, my character wouldn't do this, so I'm not going to go. I'm going to go over there instead, and then just sits there for the whole session, and then complains that they're not involved in the game. You know, something like that. That's my worst type of player, the one that's not a team player. You get that thing... Um that that dreaded line like there's sometimes when you love this line and then there's that other time when it's just like but it's what my character would do and you oh, do yeah. want to throw you want to throw like the heaviest book you've got at them so yeah i i feel you i feel you for that one that's um so yeah that's everything isn't it leon we've done our questions sean's been greedy and had two thank so you. um we'd like to thank sean for coming to hang out with us it's been an amazing episode with some great ideas some yes, beautiful thank you so conversation much, thank you you're, you're very you're... welcome thank you for the invite and i, I look feel as if another time i feel as yeah, if we'll every definitely time... have to do this yeah. again because every time i have i spit i have a conversation with you about dm and i learn something and i'm like Ooh. i really appreciate so, that I so really do. yeah um sean is there anything you'd like to plug um, in terms of yourself, like if you got any uh, no, not particularly, but I would just say that if you know, reach out if you need any support as a DM uh, in any capacity that it is. Do go through any medium that you can find us. If, if you have the will, you will find us. We're like the A team of DMing. You know, uh, people will come and find us eventually. Find a way to us. Then I will help you in any way I can, whatever you need for however long it is, and that is just what GMs do. We are there to help each other, and in these difficult times. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? It does. It does. Leon, let the people all know where they can find us. And then we'll um, you can find us on Twitter at uh, the pod. Uh, no, on Twitter at pod o many things. 
on Facebook and Instagram at the Pod O Many Things and on Podbean, which is the full name, the Pod of Many Things. Well, thank you. Have a lovely thank evening, uh, day, wherever, whatever time you're listening, and we hope to see you again soon. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.